Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Dr. Mikhail Dirks, a Swedish organist from uh, Stockholm. He works at uh, the German church there. And this church is best known for having... uh, an organ from the time uh, when there worked uh, one of the most significant students of Jan Peterson Zwelling, the famous Dutch organist and composer. Uh, basically, he was known as uh, the maker of German uh, organists. So, uh, Michael uh, talks today uh, about uh, this specificity of that instrument and what it takes to play that kind of instrument in the 21st century also. So you will discover fascinating details about the intricate uh, style of that instrument and how to adapt your technique and other performance practice issues. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation and let's go to the show. Okay, uh, uh, today is uh, a special day for us. Uh, now in, in Vilnius University St. John Church, we have uh, two guests, uh, Michael and Michael, sorry, and uh, Gabriela from Sweden, from Stockholm. Uh, thank you so much for joining the conversation and welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so let's start uh, with, uh, with Michael. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, who are you and what do you do? Um, who am I? I don't know who I am actually. I still discover myself. Um, right now I feel as a lucky tourist in Vilnius. <laughs> um, I'm organist in the German church in Stockholm. Let's, let's, uh, let's explain our listeners from around the globe that uh, the German church is probably one of the few most famous org- uh, churches in, in, uh, in Stockholm, in entire Northern Europe, Europe because there, in, back in uh, f- some 400 years ago, worked one of the most significant sw- students of Jan Peterson Zwelling, Anders Duben. Is yeah. that right? That's right, yeah. Uh, is the organ you have uh, uh, available in the German church... Uh, Still, uh, 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 still in that tradition that uh, remembers Andres Duban today? Yes, I think so. We got a replica of our organ. The organ history is very exciting. The parish sold the famous Baroque organ in 1779 to northern Sweden and they got it back as a replica and this is a very spectacular project thanks to Hans-Ola Eriksson who once had the idea to reconstruct this organ and this organ is all today named after Andreas Duben because there is not only one organ builder who built this organ even back in the 17th century. And of course Hans-Ola Eriksson is known to have uh, 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 led the project uh, in Overtornio, right? Uh, Yeah. he, he loves so much those early instruments uh, that he tries to reconst- reconstruct. So thanks to these uh, organists like Hans Ola that, that now we, we can have more of them uh, reconstructed and restored today and uh, uh, organ music lovers of 21st century can enjoy the real sounds of 17th century, for example, right? Yeah, that's true. So, uh, And it sounds so new to our ears that it's amazing that we can discover those sounds now again as 
you know, first-time listeners. And Michael, uh, how different is is uh, the German organ and uh, Duben organ uh, from from I don't know St. John's Church organ that we know today? Is is uh, can you describe a little bit the compass of the octaves, the the style of the stops? Yeah, also it's quite different from this organ. Um, first, of course, we have a different temperament, and this is one thing you would notice at once. And we have a mean tone temperament. That means we have nine pure thirds uh, because we have some sub-semitones, also divided over keys. And these pure thirds make that some of the harmonies work very well and sound much more pure and others don't sound so nice or are not, you, actually you can't use them. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So this purity of major thirds gives probably uh, the, the sound of the perfect major triad, right? And uh, uh, consonant uh, uh, sweet sounds of C major chord, of G major chord, probably in F major chord sounds, sounds so calming, right? Yeah. But on true. the other hand, when you play some dissonant uh, seventh chords or dissonant uh, diminished chords or uh, uh, diminished intervals, they would sound what? Uh, very... Uh, colorful and uh, dissonant, right? Yeah, harsh. Harsh. Yeah, being organist with that organ, you know, sometimes I find harmonies which fits in the piece perfectly and give special color and sound, harsh, but uh, I can integrate them into the piece. And sometimes it just doesn't work because the organ sounds ugly and uh, I don't want to come to listen, listeners to come to the church and think, my God, this, this organ is out of tune. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, on that organ, do you only play 17th century repertoire or you can exper experiment with other more uh, later pieces as well? Yeah. Actually, we do. You do. We do. Mm -hmm. I agree that it's, we discover, rediscover the sounds from the 17th and 16th century. On the other hand, I think we are modern listeners and we never will get back these ears of a person in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they didn't have a Walkman or a compactist, no YouTube. And so what music did the people experience at this time? It was like maybe some violin, some flute, some singing, and maybe some trumpets from the, from the court, maybe. Yeah? But Besides of this, it was just once a week an organ in the churches. There must have been something so extraordinary, so loud and so big. We, we can't imagine how it was that time. Before we started this conversation uh, for public uh, recording this, right, uh, Michael played as a little bit of a demonstration of this organ, uh, trying to, 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 to show some of the stops that he found uh, sounding uh, uh, colorful enough on this St. John's organ, and we then, then talked about uh, how they would sound uh, on, on the German organ in, in Stockholm, in his church. And then we talked about how sometimes uh, the compass of the short octave or, or additional sub-semitones between D-sharp and E-flat doesn't allow, for example, certain keys, and how Michael has to transpose. Can you tell us a little bit, how can you transpose, how you are brave enough to transpose real organ music uh, up and down when needed in your church? Yeah. Also, um, there is plenty of music which fits perfectly to my instrument. We have a mass of, um, um, of repertoire. Mm -hmm. This is not a problem. But actually, 
Um, I did it from time to time because I asked myself, why shouldn't I play a E major piece, for example, mm -hmm. or, or some other, other music, or the F sharp minor. Right. And of course, I know that this music was not composed for organ instrument. Maybe it was not composed for a specific instrument. It was like for the clavichord mm -hmm. on a practice instrument, and then it was written down in this way. But um, years ago, I started with my colleague Gabriella to play Bach's complete organ works. And we have two churches with two organs. Now, of course, I wanted to the Düben organ to be played as often as possible. Mm -hmm. So we decided that we have to transpose this music. And um, many of Bach's works suddenly sounds perfect, even if the key is not the original one. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm sure I would not necessarily record this mu mm -hmm. music but in the concerts it's, it's totally fine and I'm sure that it's about what Bach would have done it's somehow himself he mm -hmm. yeah he would have uh, improvised and of course he would have used an instrument or the organ in that case in the German church in the way when how it sounds the best mm -hmm. and not try to to take some of his music and try to play it on an instrument which doesn't fit to his music. Yeah. Right. Uh, I remember being a witness of uh, a little bit different okay, uh, experience when 20th century music was performed on the 17th century style instrument that was in Orgritenia Schirka, a new church in Gothenburg, uh, where Hans Davidson played uh, Volumina by Georgi Ligeti. Mm -hmm. And uh, with all those uh, split semitones and with all those uh, short octaves and all those mechanical uh, stop, uh, uh, stop action devices, uh, he had two assistants. And uh, we experienced some of the most spectacular 21st century sounds performed on the ancient style instrument. So uh, when, you, when you say that, uh, you, you're right uh, that you can accommodate many other types of music, right, uh, on, on the early instrument. You just only have to think a little bit outside the box, right, mm. and uh, yeah. uh, dare to experience, probably. Yeah, I, I have a concert series, and I ask every organist to bring some 20th or 21st century organ music. And I had, also there's plenty of organ music by Distler, by Pepping, but also by Jean Alain, mm -hmm. by Ligeti, they're different pieces by Ligeti, which work perfect. And even I discovered also that sometimes people brought something and it didn't work, but it's very nice to have experiences and to have done it once and then you know, oh no, this is maybe not fitting so much. And you discover why, why, right? Why doesn't, doesn't it yeah. work? And it works in all, all other places, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So probably people listening to us around the globe should uh, should probably dare to experiment uh, with their instruments as well, whether they have large or small instruments, uh, ancient or new instruments, various styles. Um, maybe maybe there is more to to organ repertoire than simply meets the eye, right? Um, maybe we can we can explore those horizons that we haven't, uh, haven't played before and just imagine what would happen, for example, if Bach would visit uh, the church of, um, for example, Cabezon, right? Yeah, yeah. Or what would happen if uh, Frescobaldi would go to, to Lübeck, right? Or That's what true. would happen if, if Couperin would go to Vilnius, right? And, uh, and things like that. Or if Bach would have... Uh 
met Kavajekol, ja, that yeah, yeah, instrument. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or swelling would go, would go yeah. to, swelling would go to Philippines, right? To that uh, bamboo organ. Yeah, this right? would be great. That would be great. So, so today in the 21st century, um, it would be probably very uh, limiting our very limited experience for organ music lovers around the globe to only witness and experience the music of the certain style on that instrument right yeah right like in in stockholm you have this this duben organ and you only would play duben no swelling but only duben right? this would be very limited actually <laughs> and by the way by the way yeah. how many pieces do we have from duben uh, handwriting to survive today you know yeah uh, it's it's a it's a case of discussion. Mm -hmm. But from Andreas Düben, we have three larger pieces, mm -hmm. and then you know there are some study cases where he worked together with other pupils of Swelings on Alain Gott, Alain Gott yeah. for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the whole Düben family contributed to the repertoire. Mm -hmm. There is also Martin Düben and Gustav Düben. Mm -hmm. um, but the Dübens are one of the most influential family you have to say but not in terms of composition they were they had a, a very good taste bongo and they were collecting music and their contribution is actually that they collected so much good music and it's called duben collection right in yeah the but there are several ones mm -hmm, there's several. a collection of uh, the german church which is before the dubens the duben collection of gustav duben which is courtly music and then there's there are the lunar collections um, with north german organ repertoire right. uh, different fascicles and then there is um, uh, das klavierbüchlein für gustav duben and of course, he would have written his music in North German organ tablature notation, right? Do you have you seen this this type of uh, notation uh, printed in in modern times, for example? Is it is it uh, possible to recreate and play today from that notation? Do you know? Also, of course, I have seen it. Mm -hmm. I did uh, actually some studies as well in Canada in McGill. So um, I did research on this. I, I was also writing a thesis about this uh, improvisational um, patterns. And I think it's easy to play, even for a modern player who is not used to it, to some kind of music where, for example, for instance, the left hand has just two notes, H bar, and then there's going on some figuration in the right hand. It can be much more and more tricky, um, this kind of music. But again, I think mostly they didn't write it down to play from the score. They didn't put it on the, mm -hmm, on the mm -hmm. organ. So mostly it was just to study, study how others um, composed or even to learn a style on the paper to imagine the music and then they did something more when they are in the situation of a concert or a service. So you're saying that the majority of the music was of course improvised during those times, right? Yeah. Even yeah. though it was written down, it served as a model, model for composition and improvisation later on, right? I think so, yes. Mm -hmm. We have we have very few um, examples that people played own pieces uh, in churches. And think of Johann Sebastian Bach. He played the um, when he was in Hamburg. He was improvising for a half an hour. And I, th I, I agree with his thesis that um, it's so strange that we have so many much music of books to hooses and others 
for vocal music and beautiful handwriting, but we have organ works on, on, almost only exclusively of pupils. And why is this? Because the pupils copied the music of the master and it was not so important. But the printed music was often not for the church. Right. Right, so fantastic that today we, we are having this discussion, right, about these things uh, which happened so so long time ago and we can still remember that and um, even try to inspire our listeners to try try, try their hand at uh, such complex, complex tasks as, uh, let's say, transposition, right? When mm. you talked about uh, transposing uh, E major uh, piece by Buxtehude, right? E major yeah. preludium uh, to the key of... D major, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it would sound uh, in your church, right? Uh, a little more, um, more uh, uh, relaxing, right? Without any of those additional uh, sharps, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, the early fingering would be not a, the big problem, right? Fits better than yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, when did you discover early fingering? By the way, where did you discover the benefits of the early fingering? Also. It's a good question. It's a long time ago. Of course, um, yeah. it's student, student I, times, right? I was, yeah, I was studying in Stuttgart first, and I think there I discovered first mm -hmm. early fingering. And Stuttgart, uh, with, with, with whom did you study in Stuttgart? With uh, Jon Laukwik. Laukwik. Yeah. And we have to remind uh, our listeners who Jon Laukwik is. He is one of the, let's say, pioneers mm. uh, of, of early, early performance practice, Baroque performance practice, because he wrote this treatise, I think in two volumes now, uh, about uh, performance practice of, of Baroque times, 18th century, 17th century, where he discussed all those aspects, including fingering, registration, yeah. articulation especially, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, because in those days, in 1970s... Uh, no, no, it was much later. Uh, later. This, yeah. But before that, many people still played legato, that music, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, people like Jonas Laukvik, Laukvik had to read original treatises and discover that uh, it was not always the case, right? Unless yeah. composer indicated special slurs, right? Yeah, that's true. So fantastic. And the good thing with the Laukvik um, organ uh, book is that he gives, also, he is coming from a practical um, mm -hmm. way. You know, I think the knowledge about early fingering was there almost all the time. If you look back in the beginning of the 20th century, all the music scientists, they knew about it, but the organists didn't do it. So um, I think it was a great that we could learn it in a new way. Yeah? But you also have to keep in mind that you always need um, um, good instruments for this. When I had this early fingering, I had modern instruments at Stuttgart mm. that time. And, you know, it was difficult. It was, it was a pain to practice this. And I'm not sure anymore if this was a really good effect. But when you have early instruments, this works often perfectly mm -hmm. because you, you feel how the hand fits now to the keys. I remember the day in, back in 2000 uh, when I first met this uh, original uh, instrument in, in Sweden uh, and tried to play uh, with those, um, I, I don't know, strong fingers, two, three and four without the thumb and the little finger. But it still was a very painful experience. Um, but I understood why it is needed, right? But it was, it was not part of my let's say, education at the mm. time. But later, uh, when I started uh, doing these things more systematically in early uh, music approach, 
I went back to Sweden, to Gothenburg, and played in Haga Church, in, in yeah, with the, the Brombo organ. Mm. Yes, uh, uh, you know, Ulrike Heider, Heider uh, in, invited me, and I suddenly discovered that I almost didn't need any time for preparation because mm. I practiced at home, short octave, for example, on the piano without even organ, right? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Notating the necessary uh, additions and accommodations where the specific uh, finger should fall on which note, right? W without any of those sharps, sharps in the bass, bass and, uh, and using those early fingerings. And when I uh, went to Gothenburg, I almost didn't need any preparation. I played 16th century music, yeah. Italian music, and, and, and uh, I was surprised of, of myself, right? So what you are saying probably, Michael, that it, it comes with experience and with trying out those early instruments, right? Because those instruments will teach you everything yeah. you need yeah. to know. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. Fantastic. So thank you so much for your <laughs> your your uh, insights, right, and for your inspiration. I hope from this conversation, although it was uh, very condensed and quick, uh, people around the world will try to uh, try their hands at early fingering, at articulate legato, even at transposition, right, yeah. and uh, and perhaps even an improvisation, right, uh, taking written down compositions, looking at as models. And expanding further, like like Bach would do with Pachelbel, right? When he grow up, yeah, would grow, grow up. Would be great. Or like uh, like and uh, Duben would do uh, with with, with uh, other pieces of the day, right? He collected the music, right? Mm. But they expanded yeah, also yeah, and improvised. Yeah. Was much more like music, like jazz musicians' mm -hmm. work today. They have a sheet of music. <laughs> But if they look at it, <laughs> it's questionable. <laughs> so it was a different approach to, to music. Thanks so much for bringing the joy of, of music making uh, uh, to our city of Vilnius and for people who are listening around the globe. Yeah. And I wish you a very creative and brave year ahead of you. Thank you so much. Thank you too. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you online really soon.